convicted abusers are saying that they didn't have to do the grooming because the grooming was already done for them by society. And what that means, Gail Dines is a very outspoken person on this topic, and she addresses this specifically in regards to pornography. But girls specifically feel, and I'm sure in the the gay male community as well, that if they don't look as though they're ready for sex, then they're boring or worse, like invisible. In order to get attention, they need to be in this kind of pornified style. As a young mother, I experienced a paradigm shift that transformed how I saw education and ultimately the world around me. I started this podcast, The Luminous Mind, to connect with and learn from people who are disrupting the status quo in how they learn, educate, and live in the world around them. Prepare for a paradigm shift. Light a candle, light your world. Benjamin Franklin said, instead of cursing the darkness, light a candle. You're listening to The Luminous Mind with your host, Rebecca Bowman. This is a disclaimer. This information that we discuss with Emily Godreau is very sexually sensitive. If you have small children in the room, I would recommend that you wait to listen to this podcast at a time when you can be without little children in the room and when you're able and ready to discuss these topics with them. Today's Firestarter is Emily Godreau. Emily, a former Playboy photographer, is now an anti-porn activist and a sexual abuse prevention educator. She's a woman on a mission to stop the cycle of sexual trauma and opening our eyes to the high price we're paying for a pornified culture. Emily is the host of the How to Raise a Maverick podcast. Welcome, Emily. Hello. How are you? I am so good. I am so excited to have you be part of our podcast because like I was telling you before we even start recording that your message, just the fact that you come at sex education for our children and all of that abuse from kind of a different angle, like this non-religious angle, I find it very interesting because sometimes I feel like if we come at sex ed and sex abuse and stuff like that from a religious angle, that we end up having kind of an ulterior motive. (laughs) And so I like yours because it's very plain spoken and I feel like your message helps people you know, better understand why this is so important. And it's, I think it reaches a broader audience. So I'm so excited to have you with us. But before we get into any of that kind of stuff, though, let's first talk about like yourself, just introduce yourself to us and tell us who you are and what you do for all your passions and work. Yeah. So thank you. I'm super excited. Um, My name is Emily Goudreau. I'm a sex abuse prevention expert and I help parents protect their kids from sexual abuse. And kind of my specialty is talking about pornography. And I used to be a Playboy photographer. So that kind of gives me a little bit of clout. And I mean, day to day, my secret obsession is feeding my squirrels. I know that sounds crazy, but I have a a small, I have a small herd and they come up and like crawl on me. My husband's like, you're like a creepy Disney princess. And I'm like, I'm going to own that. Yeah. So I'm a mom. I'm a stepmom. I'm a godmother, a dog mom. And um, yeah, I'm just super passionate about creating um, interesting conversations about sex and sex education. And just a little insight into me, kind of a funny thing when we go to um, dinner and I'm not one, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely uh, an introvert or I love to social isolation is like my MO. (laughs) So when I go out, my husband's like, Emily, do not ask my boss if he watches pornography. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, well, if it comes up, I don't know. It's an interesting conversation. He's like, Emily, no, no. That's interesting. Well, I'd love to hear more of like your background and why you're so driven to really talk about pornography and, and positive sex education for our kids. Like, I mean, you mentioned kind of, and we talked about it in your bio a little bit that you were a playboy photographer, but you know, what's the background to that? So, you know, I've, I've dug into this quite a bit as well, because a lot of times people who have mad passion for something, it's such a, a pile of different things. And going back, my first, one of my best friends in elementary school 
was sexually abused by her mom. And I, and it's taken me a while to kind of dissect this stuff, like all the things that come together that make us who we are and what's, you know, driven us. But she, you know, would tell me things that had happened and she was, you know, more physically mature than me. You know, she was kind of an early bloomer. We're, this is from like second to sixth grade, basically. Wow. But most of this happened around, I'd say fifth grade. Um, and she would say, you know, her mom was doing these things because she was so much more mature. And I remembered so specifically being jealous. And this is very interesting, right? Being jealous because she was more popular, she was more physically mature, and that that was part of like a rite of passage. That is how uneducated we were yeah. about what was going on. And if somebody had told us, if we had had one mention of abuse prevention in sex ed in fifth grade, she would not have spent the trajectory of her life continuing to deal with that. I mean, she went on to, uh, she was very, um, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but extremely sexual throughout school. Promiscuous, maybe. Promiscuous, <laughs> yes, that's the right word. Um, and she actually went on to be a stripper. And like, it's, it's classic. It's a classic case of um, abuse that hasn't that wasn't wasn't dealt with, right? Dealt with, right? Yeah. So that's part of it, and then also I think the the main catalyst where I was like having a major wake up call was when I was working. I was actually on a photo shoot uh, with Playboy, and I I worked for Rachel Ray. I worked for I worked for all like all the major news sources. I did documentary photography. I worked for ad agencies. I photographed Bill Gates, and then I I took this job with Playboy to photograph an event super tame i kid you not like like your high school prom is a hundred percent crazier than than this stuff it was just basically the girls in their their bunny suits walking around signing stuff for guys anyways i'm photographing and that's not justifying why i mean i shouldn't have been there but just so people always wonder you know they're like what crazy thing happened The crazy thing that happened is I was photographing these girls smiling, holding, you know, the things that they were signing for the guys. And I just caught a glimpse of a look in one of the girl's eyes and it just rocked me. Um, I even got like, I'm getting choked up now. And I, you know, I went home, I edited the photos and I put the stuff, you know, I gave them their images and I put my camera away and I have never picked it up again. Wow. And the, like the, you know, short story long, she had been sexually abused. And now that I work with people who have been sexually abused, there is a look in their eyes that is absolutely undeniable. And that's what I was seeing. And it, I think it was just, um, yeah, it was, a call, a, you know, like higher calling, waking, waking me up to what I was doing. I was perpetuating abuse of this person. That's interesting. I think a lot of what you say, like we never hear about sexual abuse by a mom. That's, that's interesting. It's usually a father or a weird uncle or a priest or something like that. But yeah. yeah. So from the time that you put down your camera and decided not to do that anymore, and you know, you notice that look in their eye, like how has your thought process, like, Basically, what was your thought process that kind of, you know, there's always things that lead us to what you're doing now with like how to raise a maverick and all of that kind of stuff. What's, what's like the background to that? Like, where did that story, you know, from putting down that camera to now, how, how has that led you? I think, I think it was, you know, an intellectual development as well, understanding that I had bought into this uh, feminist myth that sex workers um, that was part of feminism is like supporting sex workers that they could do and be whatever they want. And, you know, in all honesty, they can, but, you know, the more I worked in more, I saw around that, I realized that the decision for these people to be there, 90% of, uh, people who work in the sex industry have been sexually abused as children. So it's not, is that really a choice for them to be there? If like the choice was made for them when they were kids, you know, that trajectory, yeah. they, they were split off on a trajectory early on. So I think that was part of it. Um, 
And then launching How to Raise a Maverick really started when I had my daughter and, well, I'll be honest, it's when I got married and I had stepkids. And when you have stepkids, everybody out there who has them knows if there's, they have their birth parents, those are the people in charge of raising them, really. Mm -hmm. And um, there was just things going on that I felt like I couldn't address and I, I felt like if I can't, if that's not my place with the stepkids, I'm going to create a platform where I'm going to help other people. That's interesting. Because sometimes when we in divorce and we have like the step parent comes involved and the mother's dating and all that stuff, that opens up kids for abuse as well, right? Like the more we expose kids to different adults in their life like that and bring them in and out of the home. I mean, are, is that what you're meaning? Like with the stepkids, like oh, you yeah. can, okay. Oh, yeah. They are 20 times more likely to be sexually abused. Wow. 20 times. And that is higher than kids in the foster care system. And this is, people do not, you know, and a a lot of moms are really worried about their husbands and what their husbands are doing. And I am here to tell you that moms need to be unbelievably careful about the men that they bring into their lives and it's not just boyfriends. I mean, these are people that the mothers marry. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, story after story after story um, of people coming forward saying that they were, I mean, all, I mean, just all kinds of horrific things happen at the hands of the people that their mother chose to commit their lives to. It's, um, and I often, I have to say this, is if you can work on your marriage is the best thing you can do to protect, protect your kids from sexual abuse. Strong marriages. I, I agree. I think it, it's a powerful place to keep, you know, kids healthy in that strong marriage, um, oh, yeah. for sure. There's, yeah. There's so, there's so, so much. And sexual predators seek out single moms. Mm-hmm. And I know this sounds, um, this is, I mean, if I, if I had to go, you know, into the dating scene again, which I hope I don't, it would be a long time by, before I even said that I had a daughter. Yeah. Keep it on the low down. Yeah. Because people, they're sought after for their children. And now with the quantity of sharing on social media, they can see what your kids look like and who your kids are. And it's, um, it's just seriously, I mean, 20 times, they're 20 times more likely. Yeah. Well, and uh, sexual predators will use like social media to find children as well. I mean, we hear, you know, all those stories about uh, like my daughter, she might be on Instagram or something like that. And um, somebody would notice that she's maybe younger and then, you know, try to become friends with them and, and try to portray themselves as another 15, 16 year old person and then try to make a meetup. Right. I mean, that's really common for yeah. All day long, all yeah. day long, all night long. So like when people, I just saw somebody like gave their little five-year-old daughter, but the, the problem with the phones as well is you, this is what I tell people. It's like, yeah. would you let the whole, like anybody in the world come into your home? And that's exactly what you do when you, you with any, the social media stuff and kids are wicked smart. They will, I mean, my gosh, I have the, you can only imagine how crazy I am. Our stuff is crazy, crazy locked down. Really? Does my daughter, she's seven years old. Does she find stuff? Oh yeah. She finds stuff all the time. And I'm like, this is, and I'm nuts. I'm nuts about this stuff. Really? Hmm. Yeah. It's, it's just really, um, she does not have her own phone, but this is just even on Netflix and stuff like that. They They bypass stuff so quick. And uh, my version of G is definitely different than G and PG that's of other, you know, ratings. Yeah. That's interesting. I'd like to maybe uh, talk more about that um, later on. I mean, I have almost the opposite approach of like, and and my audience is going to think I'm maybe irresponsible, but I'm like, okay, I want to open, but stuff that we can talk about and but it hasn't always worked out well for us, all I can say. So, but I'd like to kind of go back. I mean, you were talking about that friend that had been abused and that those muration. I mean, we all had those, uh, what will I call them? Muration. That's wrong. Uh, you know, the fifth grade movie where the girls get pulled in and they're taught about their bodies and all of that. So we've gone from a place where 
as we come into womanhood with ourselves, we all had that video. And so we went from a place of like, our parents never talked about, I'm assuming you're somewhat close to my same age, like our parents just never talked about sex. We never talked about, and I think I know there was a lot of sexual abuse going on. You know, I experienced some and I know I have many friends that did too, but then we've kind of crossed over to this place like we're talking about it, but it's not necessarily... I don't feel like it's in a healthy way. How do you feel like your message of sex education is like different from what other people are saying? Well, I mean, if you, it's interesting. Well, we have the, we have two different realms, right? We have the Christian thing. It's yeah. like, it's bad, it's bad and you shouldn't do it versus like, you know, the, the queen have, yeah, a free for all of like, let your children, I don't know, sit on the sit on a transvestite's lap or whatever and read books yeah. to them. You know what I mean? There's two ends of the spectrum. So the best way to understand it is to look at the history of sex education in the United States. Basically, after World War II, a lot of the soldiers came back and STDs were becoming a lot more prevalent. So that's when the government stepped in and was like, all right, we're going to need to start educating about STDs. And previous to that, it was more of a morality discussion. Then it went into a little bit more of the, um, basically you're a tainted person forever if you have a disease and like scaring the crap out of everybody. Or it's and, all the woman's fault. I mean, yeah, there was yeah. a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, there's all, yeah, there's all kinds of stuff like that. And then in 1964, I can't, I mean, we were talking about how we can't pronounce last names, but um, Mary Caldron, I think is how oh, you say Yeah, that sounds right. Um, she was a physician um, at Planned Parenthood and she founded the Sexual Information and Education Council and that and the American Hygiene Association came together. So what's happened is we have now this mix of like how babies are made, you know, how to prevent STDs. And then the uh, Sexuality Information Council is really strongly pushing for inclusivity in regards to the LGBTQ plus community. So there's that piece of it. And what's happened is Planned Parenthood is one of the major contributors to sex ed, especially for the public schools, as is the LGBT plus community. So, you know, when I, when I was, especially when I was working with Playboy, I worked with another company called Self Serve, and that was a sex positive sex store. And, you know, it was, it was a really good introduction to me of what sex positive is. And it's a really great thing for adults. It's amazing. It's no shame. It's, um, it's not this creepy sex store. Um, it's, it's more obviously more open about masturbation and stuff like that. It's great for adults. So what they're doing now, and as parents out there kind of thinking about the sex ed stuff for their kids, when they see something that says sex positive, you know, this sounds like a great, this sounds great or like pleasure positive or no shaming or anything like that. Like, yes, all of that sounds great, but these are very loaded phrases because what they're doing is they're creating inclusivity, which also sounds really good into the pleasure aspect. So what happens is we're opening up to the world of kink. So this goes beyond um, LGBT sexual behaviors and like, um, like on, the, on the entry level, let's call it that. <laughs> and um, like whatever you want, whatever feels good for you. Now, uh, 80 years ago, that might have been fairly limited. Now we have things like cutting, choking, fisting, um, these are all like, I, I just label this stuff as kink, which as an adult, I don't, I mean, there's no judgment, whatever you guys want to do on your own time. But when like, always remember, we're talking about children. So um, this is what is getting entered into the sex education system. And you're like, oh, Emily, that's not true. It totally is. And the first time I heard it, I was like, there's no way. Like, I'm not buying that. That's not happening in the schools. It absolutely is. And this is, this is the way it's happening. One, the teachers are required 
to answer every single question that the kids, they write anonymous questions and they give them to the teacher. They're required to answer these questions, whether they do or not. Like that's, that's the premise is answering all of these sex ed questions. Well, these kids are also watching sex or I'm not watching. Of course watching. Watching, <laughs> watching porn um, and all kinds of other things that fall into that category. And that's the information that they're bringing to the table and asking questions to be brought into that educational platform to be talked with, with that teacher. That's interesting. So, yes. So the pornography piece is like creating a lot of um, lack of clarity in regards to sex education because of that. Yeah. Well, and um, if we go back to the history of sex education, I mean, I, I think I want to be like really clear, like, you know, I, th I think that I think in some ways we moved positively in, in the fact that, like you said, that there's that feminist component maybe of like the no shame and, and making, mm -hmm. because it was every, all of the decisions about how a man behaves sexually was, was pinned onto a female, which, you know, we all know that it's not necessarily our problem, but, um, but we've, I mean, we've kind of, we're taking that no shame thing and, and like directing it on kids we talked about before we even began, like, um, you know, I've done a lot of stuff in scouting and they do a whole, they do a whole um, section on how to keep kids safe. And they talk a lot about grooming. And do you feel like, like that, what we're doing now with kids, uh, we're almost grooming them to be victims. Like you said, like this whole kink idea of like, whatever feels good. It almost sounds like it's almost very brutal, like, um, like painful, violent, yeah, stuff like that. Like yeah. most people wouldn't sign up for just like on their own unless they were groomed to believe it was okay. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, exactly. Well, there's a couple things. So a lot of uh, pedophiles or sexual abuse, I mean, not all, I mean, you don't have to be a pedophile to abuse kids, but um, convicted abusers have said that kids are coming to them already groomed. They don't have to groom because society has already done it. There's a, a gal named, um, her last name is, I think it's Gail. Dunn. Can you say that again? Sorry. Yeah. Convicted abusers are saying that they didn't have to do the grooming because the grooming was already done for them by society. Um, and what that means, Gail Dines is a a very outspoken person on this topic and she addresses this specifically in regards to pornography but um girls specifically feel and i'm sure in the, in the gay male community as well that if they don't look as though they're ready for sex mm -hmm. then they're boring um or worse like invisible in order to get attention they need to be in this kind of pornified style and um, a lot of the stuff that I teach in my courses is like helping parents and adults understand the pornification. You know, we have uh, like Rolling Stones is a, a good example, and they've done studies of this, the change over the past 20 years and the difference between sexy versus pornified. And, you know, pornified is very much ready for sex. Look, and girls are taught that they're, they're not going to be acknowledged unless they're in that form, which I think is, you know, a lot of the, if you notice the girls, like if you were just a high school or a college campus or something like that, there really are several different realms and varying degrees in between of girls who are like um, going the opposite direction of that. Like they're cutting their hair off, um, which is fine. I mean, I have my hair cut off, but it's like this, I do not want to be sexualized. And the only way for me to be and not be sexualized is to go to this extreme side. And then you've got the others that have, that are also like fully in on that and look like they're, they're very, very sexualized, you know? Yeah. That's interesting. Two different types. I'm going to write mm -hmm. this down. <laughs> that's something we, I want to talk to you about too but I'd like to know like what do you feel like and we talked about that broad spectrum of sex ed where we have this right Christian like don't do it all this shaming going on to this pornified you know side of you know all the kink that we're teaching kids how do you feel like what you're trying to teach is a challenge um, to maybe those two different models those traditional models and what, as you're trying to discover how to teach, you know, this positive sex 
ed, you know, what challenges have you come upon with that? Well, the biggest thing is that I believe in is authentic sexuality. And that is allowing a person to authentically come into who they are truly going to be. So this does not work well with a hardcore Christian community, which I am a Christian. So um, I understand that side very well because but even Christians don't understand. Sorry, I did not mean to interrupt no, you because no, I don't, I don't, but they don't even understand like the whole shaming thing actually creates a lot of problems with even if they, you know, save themselves for marriage and they end up getting married uh, to that, just that one person, that's the only person they've had. It creates like this, they feel almost dirty about sex and then they don't, they can't have like this really great relationship with their spouse. Right. Like, right, I mean, that's right. really some of the downsides of that. Anyway, yes. but go ahead. Yeah, well, you know, that's the other part of it too, is it's like the no sex before marriage thing. Well, the, the reality is, is like, I hope people have sex. I hope they have great, wonderful, loving sex with people who are going to, they're in like loving long-term relationships and it's consensual and beautiful and they can explore and do, you know, whatever crazy things they want to within that. Um, and with the Christian community, it's, you know, no sex before marriage, which really, um, is stifling for their ability to have those conversations because they feel like they're encouraging kids to have sex. And then the other side of the argument is the people who are really pushing back against that religious influence because of the LGBT community has been, you know, been ostracized out mm -hmm. of that, not accepted by the Christian community in various degrees here and there. So on that side, there's this desire to be so inclusive that they have lost the division between adult and child appropriate sexual actions or engagement. That's interesting. Um, yeah. Cause well, and maybe uh, in an effort to not feel so, uh, you know, about mental health, basically, you know, with the LGBTQ um, plus whatever <laughs> um, their, their feeling is uh, it's all done in a, in a realm to help children's mental health, right? Like that they don't grow up feeling ashamed about who they are and how they feel different ways, but, but it's being taken like too far. Do you feel like th that's the the case. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, basically what's happening is the Christian community is doing their best to make sure nobody has sex before marriage. And they, um, there's some that are very afraid that their kids will be joined the LGBTQ plus community. So what they're doing is creating, they're really hampering authentic sexuality. They're like you, this is how you will be. This is how we want you to be. And then on the other side, it's all, it's, it's done in a similar way where they're like, you can be this, you can be that. Instead of just going, you know, the, these are the facts. We're not going to talk about introducing you as this is an option for you. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, yeah. One is very restricted and the other is like, here, here's a billion different ways you can be sexually with another human being. Where my fight with both of them is my desire is to have kids fall in love with somebody, have like basic knowledge on how to stay safe and find out who they are within that like amazing, cool, crazy relationship. That's Not, oh, yeah. I heard about this, you know, and this is what other people are doing. You know, this is what's normal. Like, no, what is normal for you? And if your child is gay or trans or on any of that, the goal is for them to have come to that on their own without influence. Yeah. That makes any, without me, if that makes any sense, what we deal with now is pornography is wildly influential. Um, and then societally we have this like massive, like, you know, the story time, the drag queen story time and stuff like that, where it's this over acceptance, which means blurring the lines between adult entertainers and children. Yeah. And having them sit on their laps and stuff like that. I just, that's just weird. People, <laughs> I don't know. People, people are so concerned about being accepting that they have absolutely lost the plot. Yeah. I, I love drag queens. I love drag kings. And there's some of them, I will go out of my way to go and watch those shows. I drink a ton. They're extremely crude 
over the top, raunchy sexual shows. And a lot of people do not understand that. That is an adult entertainment. It's over the top. I've been at shows where I walked out because I was like, this is just like, they're just trying to be offensive. Um, but it's fun. It's adult fun. It's adult entertainment. That's interesting. Yeah. It is not for children. And I even, I'm, on one of my Facebook posts, there's, there's a drag king or queen and she's like, white, you know, these white middle-aged women are so afraid of, you know, being anti-LGBT that they're like bringing their kids. And he said, do not bring your children around us. The gay community is constantly being combined with the pedophiles. We do not bring your children around us. Don't put that on us. Yeah. It's not who we are. But it sounds like parents aren't like really listening. So no, you know what it is? They don't get it because they're, this is, this is new for them. Yeah, that's true. You know, they need to be a little bit less prude and go and explore this stuff on their own. A lot of people talk about stuff that they don't know about. They're like, oh, this is supporting the gay community. No, it's not. Like, first of all, those are not necessarily gay people. Like, what are you, like, how are you to label their sexual preference because they dress up as women? No. Yeah. And, and, oh, and plus they're not, and this isn't trans either. These people are not, or cross-dressing or whatever. Drag kings and queens are very different. It's like, the, it's like a, a, they're strippers-ish. It's adult, hmm. it's adult entertainment, 100%. That's interesting. Well, and I feel like uh, um, like the religious right and all the, you know, going back to our history, you know, when men came home from the war, um, you know, I've been reading a lot about how they were so worried about women being, you know, now that they've been out in the workforce and all that stuff, like mm-hmm. not returning to their proper place, you know, that, right. but, but I almost feel like um, because of this feeling of wanting to keep those gender roles going and the religious right and all that stuff and squash feminism, that kind of thing, that um, it's just a natural pushback, right? Like there's, there's this natural rebellion that's happening and that's what we're seeing now. We're seeing people that, that were kind of raised in that religious right, the shaming and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And now as parents, they're almost like pushing it to the other side because they don't want to they're, they're trying to be so not like, you know, like, yeah. and so I, I really am a believer in natural rebellion. Um, and I think we'll talk a little bit more about that when we talk about constructive wave just apparent, but it's just an interesting concept to think about. We don't really understand what we're trying to do when we're trying to be inclusive and how we're exposing our children to stuff. Like what are some common mistakes? I mean, kind of to go into that, that you feel like parents are making in protecting their children you know, what's some essential things to talk to your kids about? Um, I think one of the biggest misconceptions is, you know, I mean, in regards to the topic that I specialize in is that um, everybody thinks that pornography is a, a boy's issue. That watching pornography- That's interesting. We, we really, that's, that's how, how can I, you know, they'll have three girls and one boy. How can I talk to my boy about pornography? And I'm like, no, 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 no. Let's go back. Let's talk to all of your kids. There is, there is not a male, female disparate. They're like they're both, they're both exploring that for sure, without a doubt. So that's one, that's one of the biggest things. Um, and I think the, the other thing is when, when you're out, sex education right now, because of the fact of pornography, which like it, I'm sorry, it stinks. Like this is just a reality of parenting right now. If you care about your child and want to have them be mentally healthy and happy, you got to start addressing this stuff like from, as far as I'm concerned, from day one. And even as early, before they can even talk, this is going to sound a little weird, but I, I really would like parents to start using the anatomically correct words the day yeah. the kids are born. And the reason for that is not because the kids hear it. It's because we have so much shame and so much stuff tied up in our own sexuality. And you'll notice it. I notice it too. And it's weird. There's weird stuff that comes up that is a trigger for all of us. And you don't know until you've got a kid and you're like, whoa, I'm super triggered by that. I didn't know that was there. <laughs> Hello. But it gives you a period of time to get to work through that. Be, you know, like, can I say, penis, vulva, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, yeah. easily. And if you can't, 
dive into that. Like why, what happened, you know, how it's just a part of the body. Um, and another thing that I'm a, a little bit of a stickler on when we talk about the female anatomy, the external anatomy is a vulva and the internal, um, like vaginal canal is the vagina. And a lot of people are like, Oh, we like the word vagina. And I'm like, okay, well, that's like calling a penis a urethra or <laughs> a mouth, a tongue, you know, it's, and, and it's very important to me because that is where all the sexual pleasure organs are on a woman and, or a girl or on, on females. So even in diagrams and they, you know, they have uh, the Me Too movement and stuff like that. They, they have, it looks like the, the University of Texas hook em horns, like bull with the <laughs> vagina going down. And I'm like, are you serious? We have these feminists out there about, you know, like preaching women's rights and stuff like that. And they're not even including the whole anatomy. That's interesting. It's just the sexually reproductive parts that have been represented in our medical textbooks for eons. Yeah. Um, and a, a lot of times, you know, kids, they'll talk about, um, with kid with boys, you know, ejaculation and erection and thing like, things like that. But nobody talks about vaginal wetness. Nobody talks, nobody talks about the female response to pleasure or, you know, those things happening to our bodies at all. Feminists, yes. even in like people who yeah. consider themselves feminists. And that's probably uh, has something to do with the fact that we don't think girls are even thinking about that, you know, like right. um, kind of goes back to that, oh, that whole idea of, um, I don't know, that girls somehow um, were holier than men or something that, that we don't right, think yeah. about. Or, yeah, exactly. So. Um, and it's, it's, it's really talking to girls about um, the blood flow to the genitals. I'm going to kind of take like segue back to pornography because that's what, like I said, my husband's always, please don't talk about pornography. And I'm like, <laughs> I can't stop. <laughs> um, so something that's really interesting that happens, it's called arousal uh, non-concordance. And they, they did a test, I think it was Manchester University or Manchester Metropolitan University did a study on it. And they tested men and women's response to pornography by the blood flow to their genitals. And then they had like a little buzzer that they would buzz if um, they, they were aroused mentally, you know, if they felt like they were aroused to what they were seeing. And with women, there's only a 20, um, 20% alignment. So only 20% of the time, their genitals were aligned with their own desire. Hmm. And with men, there's only a 50%. Now, this is super, super crucial when talking to kids about pornography because your body, our bodies are designed to put, have blood flow to the genitals whenever we see something sexual, period. It's not something like, oh, this turns me on. This is what I'm into. This is something I want to participate in. This is, this is really important discussion twofold and it's deep. This is a hard, this is like a hard one to have. <laughs> I, get I get it. But, um, with, uh, it's important because if kids understand that if they were sexually abused and they understand that their response, their body responded in an autonomic response, that's crucial information. Well, yeah, I mean, I remember feeling like, okay, no, this isn't right. But then you have like, well, but I got, you know, stimulated by that basically. Mm -hmm. And so like the victim doesn't feel like they can say that that was wrong. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, exactly. It's used against them. And I'll, I'll tell you guys in just a second how to talk to your kids about this in an easy way. But then, so that it's, it's a, it is the number one thing I interview therapists. I'm like, okay, what's the one thing that you have people coming back for 40, 50, 60 years after being sexually abused as a child that they can't get over. And that is the one thing that it, there was a response. They physically responded ejaculation, orgasm, or just the fact that it felt good or it was used against them. Now, the other part of this is when we talk about pornography, same thing, you're, you're whatever age, you're 12, you're exploring pornography online, you see a rape scene. It, 
and your body is going to respond. You're going to get blood flow to the genitals or you see a, a scene of a mix of different type of people or, you know, something that you've never been exposed to, whether or not that is your authentic sexuality or not, you are going to get blood flow to your genitals. So, so do you, that, is that the danger though? Like if you experience like watching that kind of stuff, you end up uh, wanting more violence or whatever is that? Okay. Yeah, yeah, totally. So what ends up happening is if you don't understand the biology of that res- the autonomic response, just like we get goosebumps, we our heart beats, you know, we cough, sneeze, you know, all all these different things, when you see violence mixed with sexuality or any of these other things, you go, "Oh, this is who I am." That's interesting. But it's really just a natural response to anything sexual is what you're trying to say. Like Exactly. And okay. it's very confusing. So we have a lot of times we have parents and I mean, this happens all the time. Whenever I go to conferences, somebody always pulls me aside. This is Emily. Oh my gosh. Specifically, they're, you know, it's usually the daughter's. I think it's kind of a head trip because we don't talk about this with the girls, thinks that they're lesbian or bi or whatever, and they've been watching pornography. Um, This can be, not always, but can be where the confusion comes in. Because if they're not going, oh, I'm having, I'm in a relationship or I am sexually attracted to a person, they are watching pornography and being turned on. And this is wildly dangerous for all kinds of reasons. Pornography, the porn industry, they've nailed it. They mix that blood flow to your genitals with violence. You're like, this is who I am. This is what I have to have. And then guess where else you can get that? Nowhere. Unless you you commit crimes and rape and do these other things. You're not going to have that experience anywhere except for the product that they're selling and giving you. That's interesting. Yes, and so then it just keeps you coming back for more because, because of that. So Because you can't get anywhere else. Yeah. So there are two different realms that we're going here. We're talking about, you know, sexual education, and then we're also talking about sexual abuse and that grooming that goes on. What do you think is like an essential thing for us to tell our kids about strangers? You know, we always talk about like, don't... Um, you know, because I think so many of us are worried about that. You know, we're worried about, uh, I know one of the key points that you talked about or, you know, that you're feel comfortable to talk about is um, how, I love that question. You know, what's a false information that sex trafficking is dr- uh, dramatically reducing our kids' quality of life? But, you know, as parents, we're worried about like kind of both ends of the spectrum of proper sexual education mixed with like also keeping our kids safe from being, you know, sex predators. What, what do yes. you think is essential yeah, about okay. that? Okay, so this is good. And I also remind me to go back because I want to tell everybody how to talk to their kids about arousal, not concordance. Like you can talk to your two-year-old about it in this tricky way that I have. So, okay. um, yeah. So stranger danger. Um, so there's 800,000 reported cases of missing children every year. Um, and I, you know, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I think it's like 98% of them are non-custodial parent abductions. So, what, you said what percentage? 80. I, th- I think it's 98. It's, in, it's okay. like 98 or 99 or like 99.8, something like that. Um, okay. Like obviously like a very large amount are um, non-custodial parent abductions and runaways. So the, the thing that you need to understand about this is the kids that are being trafficked are not being reported missing. And, um, there's so much, there's so much fear going on about stranger danger. And we've proven time and time and time and time again, that the, the statistically kids being abducted is like what it's like 1% of all the cases of missing kids and they get, it's, it sounds like I'm doing a lot of the 99 stuff, but they literally get 99% of them back. So the kids, the problem that we are dealing with, with sex trafficking, 
sex trafficking is an entirely separate issue. These are kids, the LGBT plus community is at high risk because the kids get kicked out of their house. Okay. So they're runaways, um, which is another reason we need to, you know, be really careful about, you know, as, you know, for me as a Christian, I can talk about this, but as Christians to really accept our children. Um, and be there for them and love them and all of that. They put, they go into seriously high risk if once they leave the home. Well, and, and those types of children are somewhat, um, they find somebody who will take care of them and then that person kind of feeds on them, right? Like, I mean, oh, yeah. they're, they're, looking, they're, they're, they're somewhat compliant in the situation maybe, like it's not. Yeah, they need an advocate. They need somebody who understands them and accepts them for who they are and entry into, you know, uh, somebody who's like, we get you, you know, welcoming into whatever community. It's very, very dangerous for them if they, if somebody gets a hold of them. Anyways, that's where a lot of Interesting. the sex trafficking happens. Also within the foster system, um, the kids are actually purchased. And this has been, they're, they're trying to get this. It's so underground and creepy and terrible, and so few people are willing to admit this, but someone will come in and say, we're trying so hard to adopt, and we're having a hard time because of this and that. Um, adoption, there have been a significant amount of stories of the adoption parents saying that the kids run away, and they're basically given like a couple grand to say that the child has run away, so this family can have the child that they've always wanted but couldn't do it through the system. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, deep and not great. Um, and then also uh, a lot of the trafficking is happening by boyfriends. Um, and the complexity of the sex trafficking is that um, one of the hardest parts is once the kids are saved. And we're talking like, you know, um, teenagers or anything like that. It's difficult to keep them from going back to the person that was... Um, selling them. Yeah. Well, like you said, I mean, that's the whole uh, like porn industry and all of that is fueled by people who have already been abused and who maybe find comfort in that, you know, that situation. And then it's hard to break that cycle of abuse, right? Like, yeah, it, and like the brainwashing that goes on. I mm -hmm. mean, if sex traffickers could just grab people out of the street and sell them, it doesn't happen that way. And there's, they don't have the bandwidth to, control somebody that isn't voluntarily there. And that, guess what? They don't have to. There are people who are voluntarily participating in it because they need help. They need support. They need community. Yeah. What's Jeffrey Epstein's thing, right? <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, that was, that was mind blowing to me. Like the girls, like they knew it was wrong, but then there were so many ways that he was supporting them too, you know, yeah. that. Oh yeah. So yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not kids just being ripped off the street. And here's the, here's the problem with it is as women and mothers and just parents in general, we're told that if we left, leave our kids, let our kids out of our sight for a second, that we're terrible parents and they, they literally will come and take your kids away from you. So Utah has now has a free range parent law yeah. to protect parents who let their kids walk to school. Uh, Lenora Skenazy. I love is, her. Yes. Yeah. She kind of, she's the one that kind of heads that and she's just brilliant and very outspoken about it. And as mothers and parents, it's wicked hard right now. And we can't even let our kids go out and play in the yard. Yeah. And then with COVID on top of it, it's like, ah! oh, oh yeah. You let your kids go outside. They should be out riding their bikes. My daughter rides her bike like eight hours a day and we live in this kind of smaller community. She's literally out all the time she comes back in like every 30 to 20 minutes and checks in just because they want to right i mean like that's a natural thing for kids my kids come find me all the time oh hey yeah. mom i just want to make sure you're still here you know, yeah. Yeah. yeah totally so um yeah i think people people are so freaked out about the sex trafficking and you know you need to follow the numbers too that if um if you're hearing these numbers who's who's giving this data out and if you, most of the time, it'll go back to a nonprofit that's asking for money, which mm -hmm. is fine. Like that's how it works. Um, but just, but just be wise. Um, yeah. Yeah. 800,000 missing kids a year. Everybody's like, oh my gosh, that's not true. Like, like what's happening? Where are all these kids? And like, they're at home with their parents actually. 
but they never report that. And that's probably part of that 24 hour news cycle. Like there's never that, there's never, I mean, we hear the first part, but we never hear like the end of the story type of thing. And Mm -hmm. yeah. So, and isn't it safer nowadays? I mean, I know Lenore Skenazy talks a lot about this, like we are actually safer. Our kids are much safer than they were back in even the 19, you know, when I was growing up in the 1970s. Um, yeah, so that nowadays. One, that's that is overall safety is. I go. I always go on the FBI sites. That's where I get all. That's probably one of the few sites that I actually trust on all of this. Which who knows how trustful that is as well. Um, but it's up and down. I mean, this is my problem with statistics. Always is usually is like a ten year span before good stats come out, and. 10 years. I mean, we're in a different world. Yeah. You know? And so it's, I, I think a lot of the stats, um, that say it's safer. I don't, I don't know. Um, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure it is. Um, it's more, let me put it this way. You are more likely, um, to be hurt by your family members yeah. than any, any, or your else. priest or yeah. Yeah, someone that, you know, your scout leader. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, even like they do stuff on Halloween and stuff like that. And it's like these, you know, finding razor blades and stuff like that. You, you trace those true stories back and it's like, Oh, the uncle was dealing drugs and you know, the kid accidentally overdosed on stuff at his house. So he put drugs in the candy and that's where that story came from. You know, just just stuff like that. So I'm really, I'm, I'm, is it safer now? You know, according to some statistics, it is and it isn't. I I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Well, and I think too, like, um, you know, growing up in the 1970s where there was a lot of sexual abuse um, by family members or whatever, I think that us as uh, our generation is a little more aware that that kind of yeah. stuff can happen and that that's not just some, you know, like my, my mom was fully aware that stuff was going on and she's like, Oh, that, you know, your grandpa's just a dirty old man or something like, yeah. but uh, like, we are like, <laughs> like, yeah, nobody does that. You know, that's wrong. <laughs> and, you know, so I think maybe we're just more, we're just the generation that's more aware. And so that we're more cautious about stuff like that maybe. And, and then that leads into like the whole, you know, sex trafficking and, I mean, we just have, we build stuff up in our mind. Maybe we just have more anxiety about stuff or different things like that. So as we're teaching our children about, you know, healthy sexuality and all that kind of stuff, I mean, you mentioned that, you know, teaching your kids sexual arousal at a really young age, you know, give us the reasons why. I mean, that's so important stuff. So like I was talking about with the arousal non-concordance and the importance of understanding, you know, kind of our autonomic response to witnessing something sexual, you know, it helps so much with, you know, like I said, kids understanding, heaven forbid they are ever sexually abused. They have the understanding that their body response was not in alignment with their choice. And then also if they do watch pornography, that that is not who they are just because their body responded. But I wanted to tell you, this is how I teach it. So everything I teach goes back to nature and most of the activities you do like outside. So it's a game called a mind of its own. And it's, it's just bear with me. It sounds like, cause we're talking about sex stuff. It sounds like people's brains go, whatever so what you do is you get, you just get like a piece of grass and somebody closes their eyes and you tickle their nose or their face until they sneeze or they twitch or, or, or their arms until they get goosebumps. And so when you've got littles, all you do is go, isn't that weird? Our body is responding and we can't stop it. We don't have any control over it. Your body has a mind of its own. And you just, that's, I call it a conversation seed. So that's your first introduction into the conversation that we don't have control over how our bodies respond to certain things. And then as they get older, there'll be moments in time where you're like, you know, you can point it out and it's just one of those like ongoing kind of noticing things that'll happen. Like a dog, the hair on the back of its neck raises up or it starts drooling or, you know, your heart rate (laughs) starts pumping or, you know, there's all these different things that are going on and be like, ah, it's another like body having a mind of its own. 
And then there'll be a moment in time where you're like, um, like even in our family, my daughter was like, that makes me feel funny. And I was like, isn't that weird? Isn't that weird that like, we don't have any choice on how that makes us feel when we see different things. And it, what it does is it allows you a lot of sex education is like, you got to talk to the kids about this at this age when stuff comes up and it doesn't matter if you've got a kid watching stuff early on, you know, you can introduce it earlier or later or however, um, that pans out for you. Well, and it really does. And, and I, I feel bad because as a, you know, there, we've lost opportunity maybe for many of us parents, like what, what would you tell parents who haven't, um, planted necessarily those seeds of conversation you know we it's like the same, <laughs> it's the same exact conversation so what you're doing is you're just noticing things in on of yourself or um in nature or anything like that um just like isn't it weird like this i like it, they're even studying biology or whatever just autonomic nervous system and just be like you know i'm just so amazed at all the stuff that our bodies do without my with does without my permission isn't that interesting it's it's these tiny little comments that you can make um and, or be like yeah I, I felt like i was gonna laugh at that you know during a weird time when i shouldn't have or my you know or sneezing or coughing or what, you know, whatever, just point it out. Be like, it's so weird. Like we don't have, we don't always have control over our bodies. Um, and then, and then you can lead it in as it goes. You know, um, one of the things that I do, um, I talk, uh, like how to teach our kids about sexual predators from a very early age. And what we do with that is again, we meet them where they're at humans identify with the natural world a hundred percent quicker and easier and it makes so much sense for them rather than our human social world so with the predators we talk about stalking luring and mimicking and so the best way is to talk about it in regards to predatorial animals so you could go to the zoo or anything like that and you can talk about um like how the lions are stalking each other in the pen or how the zookeeper is luring the rhino into, you know, its cage with something it wants or uh, like camouflage. The animals are pretending to be something they're not. And then as the kids get older, the conversation is like, remember how we talked about stalking, luring and mimicking? Like people can be predators too. And then you can legit take them to Cabela's or Bass Pro Shop and be like, look it, this is how humans are hunting. They're stalking, luring, and mimicking animals here. Like people also hurt other people sometimes. And then when they go online, stalking, luring, and mimicking is somebody pretending to be something they're not. Do they have the ability to stalk you? Are you giving too much information? Are they luring? Do they have something you want? Are they trying to lure you into something? So um, I love that because, yeah. well, I think what made it, I mean, we're talking about those fifth grade muration, hoping I'm saying that right, but yeah. <laughs> uh, videos that we all watch and how uncomfortable that was because it was just like thrown at us at a time that was like, uh, where did that come from? And I remember, I remember one time my mom wanted to, you know, have a discussion with me about the sex and it was just so like, it was almost so formal and whatever that it felt just weird and it makes you, you know, you feel weird and because... I don't know, it just comes up at just odd times. But if you're already like building that relationship and making those connections for kids that maybe it doesn't feel, it'll feel more natural and less like creepy. Does that make sense? Oh, oh yeah, totally. And it's also about asking questions or, or just, you know, having observations, you know, this kind of this discovery into our world and like, you know, I'm being honest, you know, sometimes we'll like, we'll go to the mall and there's the Victoria's Secret, like huge wall of a woman, you know, in her underwear and my daughter's staring at it. And I'm like, isn't it hard to look away? It's so hard to look away at people who don't have their clothes on, no matter where you're at. Like the naked person is going to get the attention. Isn't that interesting? We're wired to look at other people, especially if they're behaving in a way that's not normal or socially mm-hmm. acceptable. If that was an actual person in their underwear, they would be arrested. 
That's interesting. Potentially. Yeah. I mean, maybe not, but like, I mean, there would be um, some serious questions being asked about why this woman is in lingerie standing in the mall that would not be acceptable. (laughs) Well, I think it's interesting too. Like if you have honest conversations and like you say, your daughter is staring at the Victoria's Secrets model, like uh, some people would naturally, you know, our world anymore, if our daughter is staring at another female, we might go, oh, well, maybe she's lesbian. I mean, you know what I mean? Like we're taking it a step further. But I think what you're saying is that it's all of us, no matter what sexual orientation we are, that we happen to be, like we may get sexually aroused at something that, you know, like I said, another woman, you know, looking at another woman or looking... Right. You know, and it has really nothing to do with, oh, I'm, I must be a lesbian. It's more like. But this is them. this is what is so scary about right now and why I'm, you know, legit fighting really hard to have sex education. Just go back to some basic, basic biology style of education is because. Next week, please check out the rest of our conversation with Emily Godrow in helping to depornify the youth culture. Thank you for listening to The Luminous Mind. Music featured in this episode from Scott Holmes. To learn more about our podcast, check us out at theluminousmind.net.